Welcome to Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM. Liftoff is a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. I'm your host, Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined by my uh, co-host from across the country on the West Coast, Mr. Jason Snell. Hey, Stephen. How's it going? Doing really well, Jason. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. So I guess this is a podcast. It seems it seems that way. We have a Google Doc in front of us. We do. And call recorders going. Yeah. And I think that's all it takes. Yeah. And this is not the first time we've talked about uh, about space, but it, this is officially episode one. So episode zero will, I guess, go in the archive because we did a little test episode and just kind of put it out there in the Relay B-Sides feed. And we'll, I, I think for history's sake, we'll mark that as episode zero. But, but now it's like a real thing. We're going we're gonna to do this fortnightly, as you said, every two weeks fortnightly. for those who don't know what a fortnight is. Fortnight, 14 nights. That's, what it, that's where it came from because English people don't like to say all the syllables. Every other week is wordy. And yeah. fortnightly makes it sound fancy. I know. I know. And we, we're nothing if not fancy. Is that true? Here at Liftoff. <laughs> Liftoff, very fancy. Liftoff. So we should, uh, we should introduce ourselves, because hopefully there's some, some new people out there. Yeah. Um, so my name's Steven, as I said. I'm a co-founder of Relay FM, the network, uh, of which Liftoff is part of a, a wider family of, of podcasts, which is exciting. And uh, I spend my time making and editing podcasts and, and writing and, and that sort of stuff. And uh, I'm Jason. I am uh, the uh, host of a couple other podcasts on Relay, Clockwise, and Upgrade, and uh, also do a bunch of other podcasts. And I write about technology. For many years, I was the editor at Macworld, and now I have my own site and uh, all my own podcasts. And one of my earliest memories from school is um, sitting in front of my first grade class, reading about the reading the masses and um, orbit distances of all the planets to a group of incredibly bored fellow first graders because <laughs> i was really excited about space stuff even then it was a rough crowd sounds like they I, well I, I yeah i don't know if it was at the time but in hindsight it's like why would anyone want to hear any science facts like that in from some kid in first grade that's like <laughs> eat, maybe they were just too busy eating paste to notice i don't know yeah, well, like you, my love of space uh, goes back really as long as I can remember. And like you said, elementary school, learning about the solar system and uh, the different planets and how they were all uh, different, but they all, you know, were related and that they they orbit around the same star. And uh, the scale of it, even as a little kid, was just so inspiring to me. And um, so, yeah, so I think both of us have been space fans for for a really long time. And that's kind of what this show is about to a degree. It's it's about the news of the day or of the fortnight, I guess, of the mm. <laughs> mm. um but it's also about, you know, what what it all means and 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 our goal is to do it in a way that like the tag says, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand so that we cuz neither neither of us are no. rocket scientists or even uh were you what was your uh, I, I I was a communication major in college and I have a master's degree in journalism. So that's my, those are my science qualifications. Yeah, I've I've got a I've got a uh, bachelor of arts in journalism. So see, there you go. So <laughs> high high five for science uh, podcast. Um, but we you know but we have the enthusiasm. I, and I think that's one of the things that means is that we are trained as communicators and we really are enthusiastic about the subject matter. And hopefully, I think we got good feedback in episode zero about this from people that uh, bring our enthusiasm to an audience that's interested in this stuff, but does not feel like it's like they're experts. Um, 
and using our hopefully using our communication skills to get across what is going on and why it's cool without going so deep that people feel like they're lost and they're like, wow, I don't understand all of this science stuff because, you know, science can be it, it you know, it is extremely technical and it can be extremely esoteric and that can kind of take off some of the sheen of excitement that uh, is, I think, fundamental in exploration and learning new things. And um, so if we can kind of capture that and, and you know, keep our enthusiasm for this stuff and, and uh, while communicating what's going on, then I think we'll have a successful show. That's, that's my thought anyway. No, to- totally agree. And uh, the communication goes both ways. So we will repeat this uh, at the end of the show. There are a couple ways that you can get in touch with us. Uh, the the show itself has a Twitter account. It's uh, at Liftoff Podcast, and uh, you can find us on uh, Twitter as well. Jason is J Snell, and I'm ISMH. Uh, so we'd love to hear what you guys think about it. Um, but I think uh, I think the time for housekeeping is coming to a close. I think it's now time to talk about what we have called in the show notes topic zero point five. Sure. Very so much for us being non-technical. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, that's a whole other going to des- decimal topics. Yeah, mm-hmm. another show I do. Sorry. Um, so NASA itself is really good, or has gotten really good, I should say, at social media. Both you and I, and this, I, I want to have this as a future topic, have been part of the NASA social program before and tweet ups and that sort yep. of thing. Um, but just this past week, NASA announced that they are on Tumblr, which I think is, in hindsight, is a crazy. It's crazy they're just now doing it. Uh, it's, I think it's a really good platform of you can you know share images, share text, share gifts. You know, you can have lots of different types of information there. And um, I don't. Know, I've I've really been impressed with what they've done so far. Quite honestly. Yeah. Well, their first uh, their first post on Tumblr was that uh, animation that was going around last week. Uh, which is the the image from um, the Deep Space Climate Observatory. So it's in um, the, sorry, not I don't want to get too technical here. I believe it is in the Lagrange 1 position, but basically it's far enough away from Earth that it can actually picture the fully sunlit Earth um, and show the moon pass in front of it um, fully sunlit as well. Um, from a distance and it's just it's it's this amazing picture um and that's an animated gif and it's it was tumblr post number one so i thought and and i mean they have access to all this amazing imagery um being on tumblr yeah it's so smart and when we mentioned in the last uh episode in in episode zero about how uh you know nasa is a government organization that relies on you know, Congress for funding, um, PR is an incredibly important part of what they do. Um, and we can argue about like, does PR drive NASA sometimes? But, um, but NASA has done, I think a really great job of, of recently embracing technology to get the word out about what they're doing. And I think that's, I, I think it's so smart because the more people are enthusiastic about what NASA is doing, the more there's a general feeling that it's worth the money. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's absolutely a huge part of it. Um, we're going to get to curiosity in a little while, but I really love the, the gift they did of curiosity driving. So you can see it's wheels turning over and, uh, it's sort of absorbing the, the bumps and, and crannies of the Mars terrain. And it, it's, it's so great. You know, that sort of imagery would be buried on NASA's website. NASA's website is humongous. I've spent a lot of time on the last couple of weeks preparing for this and trying to get familiar with it. And every time, uh, I think I have it, then I find some sort of 
other little section of like, oh, there's this whole little world in here behind this one text link. Um, but it's a nice way to surface stuff. And uh, this little gif of the curiosity uh, tires going round and round is, is pretty pretty adorable, honestly. If I could use that word yep. about a spacecraft. Oh, it's these are cute little uh, little Mars robots. They're uh, they're adorable. Yeah, except it weighs like one and a half tons, but you know, and the size of my car. Well, yeah, that, this is a this is a big robot, bigger than the others. We started with a skateboard, and we've moved up to a to a minivan now on Mars. Yeah, minivan on Mars. Um, yeah, I think I think it's great, and uh, you know, they have they've got an official listing somewhere on their site of like it's hundreds of Twitter accounts. And I feel like every time. Uh, every time I follow one, Twitter is like, "Oh, you could follow these other seven. <laughs> but uh, it, I think it's I think they're doing a good work there, and and clearly it is to get people excited and get not just uh, the space nerds, but you know people who are, are sort of casually interested in it, uh, like us, where we're not. You know, I can read a white paper on NASA's website, but my eyes are going to glaze over. But yeah. I can I can understand more bite sized chunks of news. Yeah, yeah. So people should check it out. It's nasa.tumblr.com, um, and. Uh, it's just the latest in a stream of different sort of social media initiatives that uh, that that we're seeing uh, from NASA, which is which is awesome. Um, uh, we should also say that uh, we will, like you said, uh, come back. I would like to talk at some point on this show about our our experiences at NASA NASA social events because um, they are really interesting. But I think we'll save that for another episode before we go down there and tell stories of going to Florida because man, there are stories about going to Florida, aren't there? Yes, it's a very, very hot place, really. Mm, yeah, why do they launch things when it's hot? <laughs> well, the answer, the answer is that when it's cold, there can be ice, and that's bad, right? True. So they launch them when it's miserably hot. Yeah. Uh, Florida's a special place. I think we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, for now. That's <laughs> so, a tease for a future episode in a future fortnight. Future, future fortnights. Uh, so this week, uh, astronauts on the International Space Station took place... Uh, or they took they took part of a sort of historical moment of eating eating food grown in space. Yep. Uh, yep. Stephen, I was told there would be no discussion of salad in this podcast. Oh, uh, you got to read the fine print when you sign these things, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> uh, space salad, really? It is space salad. Space salad. Uh, so this is this is cool. So what this was on uh, August tenth. Um, this was lettuce grown on on station. Just. They, they they flew it up on a on a experiment called Veggie. Uh, it's one of those yeah. those acronyms that I think they made the name up so they could use that's that a, acronym. Yeah, that's a backronym. Yeah, that's that's they. Yeah, absolutely. I guess they were they were like glued onto a board. This was sort of a you know they didn't they didn't like uh, get the seeds and plant them and all that. It was it was sort of like a ready to go kind of experiment pack with the seeds and the lighting and the water and everything. But it was all grown in you know zero gravity on the space station yeah so so looking at this you know it, it's interesting from that perspective and of course if if anyone out there has read the martian uh an excellent book uh by andy where the there is a a main plot point of that book is is growing produce on mars so he can, mm-hmm. he can survive ultimately and in looking at what nasa's uh future missions with Orion and going to Mars and, you know, going further eventually sustaining, uh, that food supply while gone is going to be a huge part of that, right? You can't pack up three years worth of stuff and take it with you because it's big and it weighs a lot and takes up space. And so 
this sort of activity of, hey, can we grow lettuce? Can we grow other vegetables? And uh, I think they've talked about fruit in the in the future. Uh, can we grow that? Can we can we build a system where we can sustain our own food supply uh, once we're gone? Right. Which is, again, like it, it's one of those things where I'm, you look at this post and uh, there's a link in the show notes, which if you can find like in your podcast app of choice, or you can go to our website, relay.fm slash liftoff slash one, uh, and see these pictures of things. Uh, these guys are, it's, it's uh, I actually saw a, a mock-up of this when I was at NASA this summer. Uh, it sort of uses, it uses LEDs, right? And it, they sort of give off a pink glow. So these guys are kind of floating there in this like very like bright pink uh, light, which makes it look all the more surreal. But uh, this is a key element to, to future missions. I have to, I, I, the picture is hilarious because there's the one guy giving the thumbs up like, yeah. hey, I ate some lettuce. I, I did have some key, I had some key questions here. One is, is there, were they just nibbling on lettuce or did they have salad dressing? And I, I was, this, this story answers that question. There was a dash of vinaigrette added to the lettuce, the space lettuce. So that was nice. Um, and I, I, one of the things that I liked, it is, it is important to learn um, whether this stuff can grow. And there's a, there's a future experiment that's going to add, I guess it's already growing, a bunch of other vegetables like cabbage, tomato, pepper, and radish um, that they're going to they're gonna do more of these experiments. But one p- thing that they, they pointed out is that this isn't necessarily like the, o- the only way you get nutrients uh, in a long duration space flight. It's, they, they said it will add some nutrients that are necessary um, but also add a touch of home. I think I think that's part of it too. Is the psychological aspect of it? Like if all you're ever eating is cubes, <laughs> space cubes, you may um, you may be a very unhappy Mars traveler. Um, so if the, they can throw in some stuff that's got a little more like a you know homegrown kind of uh, thing, like like lettuce, then uh, that will improve the quality of life on a long duration space flight. So I think that's that's part of what they're doing too. Because I was wondering. Is it essential to grow? I think what you said about it's uh, helpful because uh, you can make this stuff out of raw materials instead of, you know, you can't just bring a head of lettuce with you to Mars. That's, it will, it will get brown by the time you get there. Uh, but, uh, you know, how much of it is necessary? And it sounds like from this, it sounds like it's a little bit of one and a little bit of the other. Like it's it's good to have it, but it's also good for like ancillary reasons, like uh, just for astronauts to be happy. Yeah, I I think that not wanting to eat space cube food forever is definitely part of it. And I, I think of it too. I can't I can't help but think about like the garden that my family keeps behind our house, and you know we ate salads out of it uh, basically all summer. We do every year, and there's there's that ownership aspect of it as well that you want to go and you want to make sure that things are growing and uh, doing well, and you keep an eye on it, and you feel. You feel a real sense of pride when you're able to partake of something that that you helped create, and so I, I can't help but think that aspect is part of that as well. Of hey, you know, this is not just an experiment that um, you know you got sent along, and and of course they're they're invested in the science that they're doing, but this is a little bit different. That your payoff is that hey, you get to have uh, some fresh vegetables, and and you know, as as simple as that sounds, I think that when you're when you're in space for a year or more. The simple things can be very meaningful, I would imagine. Right. Yeah, I would I would think so. And then there are the spin-offs, of course. NASA's got a whole PR uh page about how uh this kind of technology 
uh, that's used in something like this has led to spinoff products that I guess in the 90s during this in, in the space shuttle, they did this analysis of the, the ethylene that's given off um, by uh, by fruits and vegetables and uh, it accelerates ripening, which speeds decay. And uh, they point out that they 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 worked on some ethylene scrubbing technology that now is actually used in. Uh, there, there are scrubbers. We think of scrubbers like Apollo 13, right? Pulling carbon dioxide out of the out of the cabin of a spacecraft. But the, you can do an ethylene scrubber that gets rid of this material and keeps the fruit and vegetable uh, fresher longer. And those are now used in apparently uh, supermarkets and wineries and flower shops and stuff like that, which is pretty cool. So that's that's also part of NASA's technique here, I think, of explaining like space isn't totally. Uh, disconnected from uh, the advance of technology, that that uh, technology helps enable space travel, and the space exploration can actually uh, lead to problem solving on Earth. Which you know we can argue whether that is how applicable that is. I think, but it's definitely NASA making its case that look, we needed to do this, and now you know now your supermarket is pulling ethylene out of the air. Right. The the, the Simberg also talks about the LED lighting that's used on this rig and. Like we said, it gives off this pinkish glow the way they've got the, the LEDs set up, but they're extremely efficient fixtures. And talking about, you know, what could that mean in these these big, massive, like commercial greenhouses that hmm. uh, are used now for a lot of this sort of uh, growth, uh, you know, for the general population and and tuning the wavelengths alike, which LED bulbs, you know, LED they're not even bulbs, LEDs can do. Um, so that you're just sort of putting out the wavelengths that you that the plants need. And uh, at the intensities that they need, which is super important in space, uh, efficiency-wise, but it's also useful if you're building a giant greenhouse somewhere. Right. It's 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 another example. I think we're going to come across this as as we go throughout this show of things that that NASA or its partners do that that really do affect all of us. You know, down the road, that there's this this to bar to borrow a phrase, a trickle down effect of. Uh, you know, this was developed for for the shuttle, or this was developed for the space station, or Mars, or something. And uh, it has been, you know, the the core elements of that sort of seep out into industry, and in, you know, ultimately, like you said, like these uh, air purifiers. You know, I've got one in my house. Like <laughs> that that technology, you know, is owes a lot to to what these guys did. You know, with the shuttle and these initial experiments. So I think that's always a fascinating little line to follow if you can pull that thread and and discover you know stuff that was made with an intention in space but ends up affecting and impacting and and really improving the lives of of all sorts of people i think that's really a a exciting part of what what nasa's up to i should say i mean we're talking a lot about nasa here um and we we will do that but um we should mention we yeah we're we're you're listening to two americans here um we uh we're going to talk a lot about NASA but you know this isn't going to be a show just about what NASA does and we're going to I mean there are lots of other space agencies and there are lots of other universities um involved in all sorts of things this came up in the Pluto uh missions where although that was an american you know run mission that uh there, I definitely saw on twitter a lot of feedback about how um people were kind of uncomfortable about the like waving the american flags at a couple of moments in there and all you know i think i think we should acknowledge here that this isn't a show about um about nasa it's a show about space and related uh stuff 
And uh, we're not just going to talk about what Americans are doing in space because this is a much bigger issue. So I wanted to at least mention that here because I know that podcasts, the beautiful thing about podcasts is they can be listened to all around the world. So, um, you know, not just we're excited about NASA stuff, but we're not just excited about NASA stuff. Absolutely. You know, the, the American Space Agency exists in a much larger community and not, not only of actual space agencies like ESA, but you have a lot of private companies all around the world sure. building this stuff, right? Like like NASA and ESA don't necessarily build their own hardware. They're, they're contracting that out. And some of those companies now, of course, with commercial crew, we're doing a lot more than ever before, at least in a more visible way. And so there's lots of things to talk about. And uh, yeah, thank you for that. That's a good disclaimer. I appreciate you heading yeah, off the email. I, I hadn't even thought about it because, you know, when you're seeing a bunch of Americans at in Maryland um, whoop, whooping about pictures from Pluto, you know, you're like, yeah, OK, great. USA. It's just like the moon landing. Plant that flag. Um, and on Twitter, I was just really I was really struck by the fact that there were a bunch of people saying, uh, you know, you know, you know, there's a German scientist working on that. And, you know, that there was a, you know, something that was contributed by ESA or contributed by the Japanese Space Agency or, you know, not necessarily for for Pluto. Some of those for Pluto, some of those for other things. Just a reminder that, uh, you know, so much it, basically all science is an international collaboration at this point. And um, it's worth remembering that it's so easy, especially on a U.S. led mission to get. um uh, uh mis you know misled and start to think that it's just about uh the US and it's just about NASA and that is um almost never the case that it's just one one group or one country so we'll throw that out there we are an international podcast uh you know everybody gets to hear this podcast at once we don't withhold it for australia because we know australia wants to listen to it too it's true we lo- we love them they're upside down the-, the moon is upside down to them I only I only realized that like five years ago that Australians and other people south of the equator think of the moon as being um like the other way from people in the northern hemisphere. I had no idea. Huh? It's uh, weird. I need to lay down now. You excuse yeah. me. I'm just gonna. We go upside down. Yeah, go upside down. Stand on your head. <laughs> Jason, you want to tell us about our sponsor this week? We have a sponsor, and it's very nice because this is episode one. It's nice to have a sponsor. Um, this episode of Liftoff brought to you by Luminos. Luminos is an astronomy app. It's made by a small family business called Wobbleworks. Uh, the developers at Wobbleworks have great backgrounds. They've worked at companies like Apple and Microsoft and Oracle. Luminos itself has been in development for more than a decade, and it's been on the App Store for nearly five years. It's a comprehensive space simulator, which is why it might be of interest to you, person listening to a space podcast. Makes it easy to launch into space and see everything up close. Any astronomy feature that you are going to need is already built into Luminos. So we're talking thousands of years of eclipses, satellite tracking, detailed planet and moon maps, tens of thousands of asteroids and comets, millions of stars, 3D meteor shower simulations, wireless telescope control, video tutorials, and a whole lot more. Wobbleworks prides themselves on great craftsmanship and attention to detail. They will go to great lengths to make sure that they get their features right. For example, to create the most complete deep space image catalog of any astronomy app on any platform, they hand process more than 13,000 images and precisely align them with half a billion stars. So they are working to build their own stuff when they need to in order to get the best quality. They also have an Apple Watch app. Those of you who have Apple Watches, you can get live animated sky charts with full details on planets, stars, and satellites, perfect for sky gazing right on your wrist. 
Luminos is a quality app. It's received love and care over the years. Wobbleworks provides free feature updates for the life of the app. One price, no paid upgrades, no in-app purchases. You buy Luminos and you've got it. So go and find out more for yourself at wobbleworks.com. That's W-O-B-B-L-E works.com. And thank you so much to Luminos and Wobbleworks for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. This week we had a uh, an anniversary of uh, Curiosity, the the Mars rover, which is a. Uh, we have to specify this is the most recent Mars rover because there's still, um, I mean we've had four now, and one of the old ones, uh, Opportunity is still rolling around. <laughs> but this is the big one, the newest one, uh, the one that's sized like what a minivan or a or mm-hmm. like a big like a big truck. It's a big guy. Um, and it's been on Mars for three years now. Yeah, there's actually a, a link I put in the... Um, I tried to put it in the show notes, but Wikipedia links... There it goes. Wikipedia links are hard. Uh, of two JPL engineers standing next to uh, basically replicas of all the, the different size rovers. And Curiosity, like, if it if that hits you going down the street, and of course it travels very slowly, but if you were traveling at speed, you would be terribly injured. It would not go well for you. Yeah, if you're a very slow Martian... It would run you over. <laughs> the slowest car accident ever. <laughs> yeah, the the yeah, it it's like yeah, it's like the size of a car. Whereas like the original, um, was uh like a skateboard, and then the twins, uh, Spirit and Opportunity, were like go karts. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. And this thing is like a car sized thing, and it's been there for for three years, rolling around on Mars. And we talked about this. Um, a little bit in our in our test show in, in episode zero, but um, it, like Mars, Mars is becoming familiar in in a cool, I think, in a cool way. It's like Mars. Now we have we have panoramas. I have on my desktop uh, a great picture that's a selfie um, taken by uh, Curiosity, I believe, that is uh, just incredibly high resolution. Uh, incredibly high resolution because you know there's time and there's great equipment on these on these uh, machines and so we have videos and pictures and panoramas and like detailed history of not just one landing spot but like a whole valley and and uh there's that uh there's an 11 plus year time lapse of opportunity the one one of the the twins that's still rolling around it's 11 years of rolling around on mars put into like an 8 minute video it's pretty amazing so I love that 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 um, you know Mars has become in the last decade really a decade plus um, a familiar landscape for us because of these rovers, which is just uh, that's really that's really cool. Like you can start to plot out on a map like the parts of Mars Mars's surface we've been on, and not to mention the fact that we also have satellites, you know, in orbit around Mars acting as as not only. Uh, uh, visualizers taking pictures, but as communication satellites relaying data from the from the landers, it's pretty it's pretty amazing. It it really is, and the uh, Curiosity it, it's its full name is like the Mars Science Laboratory rover or something MSL, which Curiosity is a much better name. It's you know it is just a an extension of what these earlier missions were about. Of hey let's uh, let's do some drilling, let's analyze what what we see and what we collect. And it's really been a, really a pretty incredible three years. Um, the Curiosity team did an AMA on Reddit uh, on the anniversary, and it was really a pretty inter- interesting look at not only, you know, there's always the question of like, well, how far is it driven? 
you know, that sort of stuff, uh, which is, is interesting. Um, but there's really been some incredible science done by this thing. What's the science? What's the science, Stephen? Tell me about the science. <laughs> I mean, I think the I think the the biggest thing is is right the 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 chemistry of it that organic carbon and the right chemistry to support living microbes uh, has been found. Right, because this thing basically go up to a rock, and if if it's deemed worthy, I guess they can uh, drill into that rock, and they can take samples of 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 what's drilled there, and that's where all the science is taking place. Right, that they're not just uh, looking and sensing what's on the surface, but they're they're going into the surface, going into into rocks that litter the landscape. Yeah, I mean one of the, one of the stories about about NASA's Mars exploration in general dates back to the mid '90s when there was that initial um, thought that there might have been life on Mars, which has been you know disputed and I think more or less uh, made uh, you know it, it was it was a questionable claim. But what what it was used by NASA, I think, cleverly was to say, well, look, if we if we think that there there might or might not have been life on Mars, there's we need to explore and we need to find out was there water on Mars at any point? Was there the right chemistry? Could could you know, could there have been life on Mars and how would we do that? And these rovers have been answering those questions. So a lot of this has been about, like, understanding the suitability of life on Mars. And and why why do we care about that? I would say I think. I think the big reason we why we care about that, why we care about some of the exoplanet uh, stuff that we've seen with like the Kepler mission, is that um, that this helps us understand how common life is in the universe. So like if another planet that's that's you know smaller but similar to Earth, uh, a little further out, if another planet could have had life, um, that tells us something. If Mars you know had running water at some point, had the the conditions necessary. If Mars actually had life, that really tells us something about how common life must be. And that that's also what's going into the talk about doing you know more probes of uh, Jupiter's moon Europa, moon Europa uh, about talking about whether there's water on Pluto, about the ice geysers on the moon Enceladus. The, all of these things are sort of about not just understanding how planets work and how solar systems work and what the variety of different objects in the universe are, but also about us. And, uh, you know, in the end, it does come back to that, which is, are we alone? Are we common or uncommon? How did life get started? And did it happen somewhere else too? And could it have happened somewhere else too? And I mean, there are even theories that are kind of wild, but not in, not impossible that life could have actually started on Mars and then come to Earth, um, which I know sounds totally like uh, like uh, Chariots of the Gods kind of uh, 10th planet <laughs> craziness. But the idea would be you could potentially have had really early microbes uh, evolve on Mars and then be blasted off of the surface uh, by a, a, a meteorite impact and then have that that stuff that got blasted off then land on Earth and then and then continue to grow. It's not totally crazy. We have found meteorites that we know are from Mars, which is where this whole story started with the claims of finding traces of life on Mars. So uh, just to put it in context, I mean, we're not just going there, um, you know, to find out things about Mars because we want to know about Mars. I mean, I think we do. But uh, they, they NASA has always framed this, and, and the scientists in general have always framed this as being, you know, we're learning about life processes on other planets because right now all we know is our own planet, and we don't, you know, that doesn't tell us enough. But it's been interesting through, you know, through Curiosity's work, uh, you know, there's been some real exploration and knowledge gained about uh, about not only life potentially existing on Mars at one point, but uh, what. Mars could mean for us 
So right. when when humanity steps foot on the red planet, um, you know what sort of environment uh, will it be in in relation to what we're used to? Right? We talk about an exoplanet. Say, hey, you know this, it's it's Earth-like, uh, but Mars is not Earth-like in many ways. Um, so they they had discovered that. Um, that the radiation could pose a health risk for humans, which is is, is a is a big deal. You know, we have this nice uh, uh, atmosphere kind of uh, surrounding us and insulating us from the harshness of space. And right, Mars, we've, got the, we've got the atmosphere and we've got the magnetic field and, and like the Van Allen belts and things. Lots of lots of things we you know that may be why we're here because <laughs> right. we're shielded from a lot of bad space stuff that would come and uh, is bad for life. Right, and and Mars is is stripped away. Uh, you know, has that that stuff isn't there. It's it's much more. There is an atmosphere, but it's, Mars as a planet is much more exposed than right and than no, Earth is, and shut down magnetic fields. So, um, you know, it's not. It, it's a much harsher environment, and and yeah, that's one of the great advantages of being um, on the surface for so long. Is we know what it's like on the surface of Mars, and we know what you know what the weather's like, and we know what the radiation is like. Um, and just, just being there and being able to, to measure what, you know, what's it like today on Mars is, uh, is a great advantage if you're, you know, the last thing you want to do is, um, is say, okay, I'm moving somewhere and then, (laughs) and not know anything (laughs) about like what to pack. Right. And that's sort of what's going on here. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, and there, there's evidence that, uh, at one point Mars may have had a, a thicker atmosphere and for some reason it may have been stripped away or even or even uh boiled off or i mean there's all sorts of these these theories and these ideas about uh you know mars's past may have been much more vibrant than its present and uh of course there's evidence there with with the water and uh curiosity in fact found uh data that suggested uh, an an active ancient stream bed a place where there was maybe once flowing water and you know all that stuff is is not there anymore, right? You look at these pictures, and uh, Mars looks like Arizona. It's, it's just everything is red, and 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 uh, it. What's interesting to me is it always when I view those images, I'm like man, it looks really hot there, and it's it's actually quite cold. But uh-huh. it it's it is a uh, a for a forbidden place in a way. It is a place that is very harsh and very. Not you're not gonna go outside wearing a pair of shorts and a jacket and it's all gonna be great, right? It's gonna it's gonna end poorly for you. Um, but all this data is, is is going into what NASA and others are doing in planning for uh, a Mars mission. Uh, we met um, uh, when I was at the NASA social group. We actually met with some people working on sort of next generation spacesuits, and and that team works very closely with the data that comes from Curiosity and. Uh, the the Mars orbiter and all these other Mars missions to to really have an understanding of what is it like there not as a as a as a science experiment not as a uh, uh, a body in the sky but what is it like there as an actual place that men and women are going to be walking around one day mm. and I think right. that that science that Curiosity is doing when filtered through that lens is um, pretty impactful honestly. Now, I, I've never gotten geology. It's just not, I, like, I can't look at rocks and be like, oh, I, I, I understand what I'm seeing here. Other than something, like, really obvious, like lava, it's uh, obsidian, <laughs> something like that, right? But but it's just not, there's a scene in, um, one of these days we'll we'll talk about space movies and TV shows and stuff. There's a scene in From the Earth to the Moon where um, the, the geologist takes the astronauts up 
uh, in an airplane and he takes them on a hike in the desert and they're pointing out like, um, what do you see from the air about the geology of this situation? And it's always baffled me. And I, I think that's a cool scene because I'm like, oh, I see how uh, that would be important. But there's so much of what, what happens on Mars is geology, which, you know, for those of us who don't really get geology, it can seem really boring. And one of the challenges of the geologists is to tell stories about what they're learning. And that's when they start to say, this is an ancient, you know, the, the water flowed here or, or uh, you know, there was an eruption of water and it pooled here and then it evaporated and the salts all precipitated out or whatever the, the story is that they have to tell. Because so much of what they're doing, yeah, is like looking at rocks and abrading rocks with a tool and then looking at what's under the surface of the rock. And yeah, I mean... That that it, it you know that's that's what the the hard work of the science is, and then they have to kind of back up and tell us um, what 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 do we learn, what what stories can we tell based on this information that we've gotten from the rocks, because that's always been one of my struggles as a space fan is the geology stuff. It's like, you know, it's rocks, it's more rocks. <laughs> I I help me out. <laughs> it's I just don't show me a rock. It's not enough. I, I'm I'm the same way. I'm I'm right there with you that when it was like. Uh, you know, taking science classes in college, it was always one that I avoided. But um, it's, you know, all this, uh, to put on in perspective, though, all of this, these past three years, Curiosity has only covered about 11 kilometers in distance. Yeah. And it's, which is not very far, uh, really, in the scheme of things. And, and it's pretty how, good for driving around on another planet, but it oh, is yeah. not that far in Earth terms, in our right. Earth miles <laughs> or kilometers, sorry, international, our, our Earth units. Earth. <laughs> Earth distance units, uh-huh. and and it all takes place in the 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 Gale Crater that Curiosity will, no matter how long its mission goes, will never actually leave this one, this one crater on Mars. So all this science, all this knowledge that we have gained over the last three years is from a very, relatively speaking, small area, right? It's right. not like it's not like you're you're driving around and like, you know. You know, I can I can spend two days in the car and I can come to your house, Jason. This is not the scale at all we're talking about here. This is a very localized area, but at the same time, one that is uh, uh, very rich in information and I think, uh, from what I read, varied in 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 that those geogra- geographical senses where they can see different types of rocks and different types of things without having to travel very far. Right. Uh, it's and, and we've had the advantage of having four other or three other rovers. Right. And, and they've made their you know, they've made their distances, too. So opportunities in Gale Crater, they chose that for reasons. They chose that because that would be an interesting place to go. Craters can expose things about the terrain that you wouldn't otherwise notice. And uh, although still, you know, um, 42 kilometers is pretty good. Um, and Curiosity, how far has Curiosity gone? Some crazy some crazy amount too i mean we, we've covered a lot of ground we got there a lot of there's a lot of mars dirt under the wheels of these these things so I, I think it's amazing i think it is very easy to take it for granted that we have robots roaming around on mars and i i, I have to remind myself of the the um excitement about landing these things on there and the idea that you had something moving around when the, when um when we first landed a rover on mars you know, good, good Lord, the idea that you could move something around on another planet was kind of crazy. And now we've been driving there for more than a decade. So it's always worth remembering that, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, those early Mars missions, you know, you have things like Viking 1 and 2, and you have uh, the Phoenix mission. You know, a lot of that stuff, including like the Russians went to uh, Venus, which a lot of people yep. don't know, which uh, those those photos 
that made it out are extremely uh, creepy and terrifying in some ways. Um, you know, basically these 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 are things that we basically just, uh, in some cases, crash into another planet and we do we do the science that is immediately available. But right. uh, the mobility that that a rover gives obviously gives a lot more flexibility. You know, like in the moon missions, they built the lunar um, you know, the lunar lander came down and the guys could get out and walk around. But you're limited to where you can walk, and and then like, hey, let's let's basically build a go kart uh, and strap some lawn chairs at the top of it and and drive around, and that led to a much uh, wider sample site of you know area to do science within. And that's when you're exploring a place that is that takes so long to get to and is so dangerous and so expensive. Giving yourself more options is um, is really a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, I keep forgetting the name of of the first uh, robot uh, w- on Mars, which was uh, Sojourner. That's the uh, from Mars Pathfinder. That's mm-hmm. the skateboard. Um, and just to put things in perspective, uh, that one was supposed to um, last a week with possible extension to thirty sols, which is Mar- Mars days, and it actually lasted for eighty three days, tra- traveling eighty three sols, traveling about a um, hundred meters over that over that time so we've come a long way is what we're saying because now we've got uh we've got minivans going um going a, a marathon distance basically <laughs> yeah oh yeah relatively speaking yeah it's 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 super far um and curiosity is is you know the the mission at this point is is open-ended depending on budget of course um but there's the mars 2020 program which is based on a similar type of design as curiosity but again sort of beefed up with more science there's some really interesting things going on there uh that they will um you know another another step another rung up the ladder towards towards actual human beings hmm. on the red planet yeah we're gonna know a whole an awful lot i mean we already know an awful lot about mars and we're just gonna this is part of the process of becoming comfortable with you know with what it's like living on another planet being on another planet uh, which it's crazy to we live in the future is what i'm saying <laughs> It's true because <laughs> we're we're comfortable with little robots scuttling around on on uh, on the surface of Mars. It's just a thing we do now. The world's most expensive remote control car. Mm. <laughs> That's true. That's true. It is to be fair, it is pretty big. Most uh, remote control cars are not as large. That's a question that I think we'll come back to in a future episode, but if if you were clear to go to to some place like Mars, right? Clear to go and, and be one of those first pioneers, one of those people that your name is in the history book. Uh, would you sign up for something like that? Oh, uh, you know, I, I've thought about it and um, I, I think I, I couldn't mostly because I've got, you know, I've got kids in school and I, I, I'm not going to. I'm not going to take them with me to Mars, <laughs> and right. I'm also not going to go and leave them behind. The the interstellar principle, if you will. Yeah. Well, I mean, if I had to go to Mars to save to save humanity, then maybe I'd do that. But <laughs> that would just to go um, on my own. I I don't think I'm in a place in my life. I could could I um, you know, if if my wife and I both wanted to go and my kids were grown up and we wanted to do that, maybe maybe. But, um, you know, she doesn't want to live out in the country, let alone on Mars. She would like to <laughs> live somewhere where there are stores nearby uh, yeah. because she grew up in the suburbs. And, yeah, I grew up in the country. And she would always say, like, there's no way I'm living three hours from an airport. That was so right. this would be kind of far. Yeah, you can't, can't jog down to the Whole Foods and pick something up, I guess. But 
But it's not unreasonable. I mean, there was a story about this. It's not unreasonable for somebody to say, yes, I would be willing to go on a one-way mission to Mars. And people freaked out. It's like, what do you mean? You're going to just go there and they're not going to, and you're going to die there? And it's like, well, first off, one-way doesn't mean that there won't eventually be a return. It just means that it's open-ended. And right. two, you know, the fact is people, people went to the New World from Europe and didn't have any expectation that they would ever come back. And some of them did, and a lot of them didn't. And that was just it. And I realized that Mars is a, a more foreboding... Uh, place than than the shores of uh of of the americas in the in the 1500s or or even later but you know there's i find that kind of intriguing and not unrealistic that some people would say sure i will go on a mission where we're there for an open-ended amount of time and maybe we'll come back later and maybe we won't i i think that um i think that might might be okay i know nasa uh and other space agencies feel like that's kind of a crazy idea. They want to they want to start by dipping their toes in the water, but um you know, it's it's interesting. What about you? Would you uh would you go to Mars? No. <laughs> you got you got little kids. Yeah, I mean, and in addition to that sort of thing, I'm just I tend to not be very adventuresome in mm-hmm. in real life matters. Pretty uh conservative in my decision making most of the time, so uh yeah, I don't I don't think I would I don't think I'd sign up for that. But, would you? Um, go, would you go? Uh, would you fly on a Soyuz to the uh, I, uh, International Space Station? That I may do. That seems. Uh, that seems a little uh, more approachable. A little easier to understand. But uh, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I guess, I, I guess if my phone rings this afternoon and they call, then I guess we'll have our answer. But uh, yeah, just uh-huh. you, you know, never know if duty calls, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sign us up. We'll do the first podcast in space. Has there been a podcast in space yet? Well, we'll be the first. Uh, I don't think so. Well, interesting. So. Uh, we should uh, we should wrap it up. I think. Do it. All right. We should tell everybody. One of the things we're thinking of doing in this uh, podcast is doing a little uh, little. Uh, the word that I've been taught to say is primer, which is some people call it primer. I've been uh, my understanding is a primer is a paint, and primer is a. A, a book or some other thing that teaches you the basics of a subject, but call it what you will, primer, primer. We're, we're, we'll have to decide, but we're going to do some of those either as episodes or as segments about uh, topics that people are interested in that they've always wanted to know more about. Uh, we'll do the work. We'll try to explain uh, that stuff and talk about it a little bit. So if there are space topics that you're interested in, it could be anything. It could be the moons of Jupiter, or it could be why do people care about Europa, or it could be why, what the heck are exoplanets, or, you know, I don't know, whatever. Surprise us. Um, we love to hear about that, as well as any other feedback that you've got about the show. Um, you know, we definitely... Uh, our our history with podcasts, if if it has told us nothing else, it is that um, audiences are part of the process of steering a show and making it what it is. And so we would love to hear from you about what your thoughts are and what your questions are, and we will you know we will follow up fortnightly. Uh, if you want to get in touch, there are a bunch of different ways to do that. Uh, you can go to relay.fm/liftoff, and there's a contact link there on the sidebar. Where you can send us an email. Uh, our Twitter profiles are, are linked there as well, including uh, the show, which is at Liftoff Podcast, as we said. Um, definitely get in touch, and uh, we'll be back uh, in a couple weeks. Yes, until the next fortnight. Bye, Jason. Bye. Bye.